0: I slept so good. So good. He really loves me. I mean, I slept great. And uh, I'm so grateful to be with you. I'm struggling this morning because uh, my heart is so full and there's so much to say. You know, if there's any themes that the father is. uh, The Lord is bringing the, the body of Christ into, there's numerous themes. One is, you know, the kingdom that we want to release his power, the kingdom, you know, that we're not passive, we're not sitting on the back seat, uh, on the back row as secondary citizens, watching the speaker be the person of God who does everything. No, we're the kingdom. You know, the kingdom of God is here in us, and we all get to play We all have a relationship with God and we all get to release God. And so at the same time, he's bringing forth the understanding of prayer. Which is, we don't only get to make God known, we get to know him as we make him known. You know, it's not enough for me to tell others about him. I want to know him. I really want to walk with him. Uh, uh, What would it good? What good would it be to gain the whole world and to lose your own soul to not know the one who formed you and made you in his image. So we want to know God and we want to make him known. Those are the big two thrusts, the due goals of the human heart. In Song of Songs, it begins with that cry. It says, draw me near and let us run together. Draw me near. I want to know you. I want to have intimacy with you, thus prayer. And I want to run with you. I want to make you known. And those are two cries of the human heart is to know God. And to make him known. But then this third subject matter. Which is happening all over the world. Which is we want to know him. And we want to make him known. In the context. Of an eternal family. He's a father. Father, son, Holy Spirit. He's always been a father. He doesn't act like a father. He is a father. And he defines. What fatherhood is. You know. You don't. Your experience of. A father doesn't dictate his fatherhood. His fatherhood is the gold standard by which everything else has to come in line with, or you can't say you're a father. You can only say you're a father in as much as you come into line with the one who defines all reality. And so, family, we want to know him and make him known in the context of what? Family. And so that's what the Lord is doing. He's making us a family. And of course, uh, in order to do that, you you have to know him. But I, I have so many feelings in my heart right now as the Lord looks down upon us today and uh, to revel in his love. And so I'm going to try to bring together about five messages in one. And I hope that because our time is short. You know, uh, when I teach on int- I teach on intimacy with the Trinity and the whole class is intimacy with the father. A whole class, you know, so there's no way to reproduce 20 sessions in one session. And then a whole class on intimacy with the son and a whole class on intimacy with the Holy Spirit, you know, three in one. And and why do we talk about intimacy with the father, intimacy with the son, intimacy with the Holy Spirit? Because God has made himself known as three in one. And this is a big deal. You probably don't do that much doctrine i mean do you have a new believers class and have a whole doctrinal understanding i mean most churches don't unless you're catholic and you have a catechism at the age of 12 and you don't know what you're talking about anyway you know they tell you about the trinity give you three illustrations sun sun rays warmth and that somehow equals the trinity or you know water is ice and liquid and steam and that somehow relates to Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You know, and the reason these type of analogy is because the Trinity is the greatest truth ever. And the reason why it's important that you just don't uh that you just don't think of God or just Jesus is because it really matters whether God is Trinitarian. Why is that? Because then when we discuss the concept of intimacy and the subject of intimacy usually when we discuss it, we discuss it outside of Trinitarian terms. And so the subject of intimacy begins with, what should I do to be intimate with God? That's where intimacy begins. Our subject of prayer begins with, what should I do? What should you do? But if you teach intimacy within the context of a Trinitarian framework, it doesn't begin with what should I do? It begins with who should I do it with? How many of you know that's how it begins a marriage? It doesn't begin with what should I do? It begins with who? Who should I go on my honeymoon with? Not what should I do on my honeymoon? The question of who is much bigger than the question of what. If you get the right girl, the right guy, you know, the what takes care of itself. But if you get the wrong who, (laughs) doesn't matter what you do. (laughs) Right? Uh, Amen. Amen. The who. Why? Because intimacy doesn't begin with you. Because it existed before you existed. Intimacy didn't begin with you. Intimacy has eternally existed in the great love affair of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Beloved, you are invited into an eternal love affair. As the one creature who gets invited into it. Angels get to watch. You get to enter in. That's why the Apostle John was so clear. He said that which we have seen, that which we have heard, the word of life has been manifested to us. So join our fellowship and our fellowship is with the Father and who? The Son. (laughs) And you know how he defines it as joy. Make our joy complete by joining us. And who do we hang out with? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Do you see it? He invites them into a relationship with the God who's three in one. Now you, we don't talk about Trinitarian language that much in the church, but there's a couple reasons why this is important, although you inherently or functionally know it's true. And, and I'll, I'll give you an example. When you pray, you struggle with who to pray to. Right. And I watch believers in prayer meetings switch between the person of the Trinity all the time. Father Jesus. Is it Father Jesus or is it Father and Jesus? Father Jesus, Holy Spirit, come, you know, and, and you'll start out. Father, we just you know, Father and Jesus. And, and so a lot of times you don't know who to pray to. So you just say, Lord, because Lord feels like it encompasses all of them. Right? So practically and functionally, this happens all the time. But the Bible is very clear. God is one in three persons. They're one God. There's not three gods. It's one God. But it's one God in three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit It's the eternal love affair. Now, why is this important to you? Because that means the first movement in God's nature is love not sovereignty or power. Sovereignty and power are now I'm not making a statement when I say that for theologians in here or young theologians about whether I'm calvinist arminian and I, 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 that's not my point I'm not going to the sovereignty free will love I, I'm not that's not my point my only point is this when talking about intimacy you have to begin how do I say it? you you have to begin where it, the revelation of God begins, which is he existed before we existed in an eternal love affair. And his practice of power and sovereignty is a relationship with his creation. In other words, sovereignty and power are part of his rulership over creation as king. But long before he created, before he was Showing his sovereignty to nothing. <laughs> and he wasn't demonstrating his power over creation. He was loving himself as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so if we begin to talk about intimacy within the framework of Trinitarian theology, you begin with intimacy exists before you existed. It doesn't begin with you because it existed before you. And you got invited into a prior eternal intimacy. Now, why does this matter? Because most of the time we focus on what we should do. And if that becomes your first orientation, then it becomes really quick then to why do I feel so ineffective? Really quick. In fact, you can get lost in that, you know. Uh, <laughs> I remember when I first began to start a life of prayer because everyone told me if I'm going to know God, I have to pray. And as a person who knows a little bit about prayer for 21 years, I have prayed nearly four to six hours a day for 21 years. I know a little bit about prayer. I'm associate director of a 24-7 prayer ministry. That's not one person in the room doing high five at any given moment. It's 300 people in the room every day, every hour going for it, so to speak. And so I know a little bit about prayer. And I remember when I first began to pray, I started with a focus on what I should do, not on who I'm doing it towards not an invitation into a prior intimacy, but what should I do? And when I began to focus on what I should do and how I should perform, I begin to utterly fail. Fail miserably. I felt so weak. Why is my attention span so, so poor? You know, what, what posture should I be in? What words should I say? So I'm always consumed with what words, you know, you know, my prophetic friends are, it doesn't matter. Just, you know, and my, my, uh, scholar friends are pray the word and only the word. And you have to pray to the father through the son and by the power of the Holy spirit. You got to use that formula father through the son by the power of the Holy spirit. That's all you can. You can't address Jesus directly. And definitely not the Holy Spirit. You can say, I love the Father. I love the Son. You can't say, I love the Spirit because He is the Spirit. And all these rules were just like, "Ah!" and then I didn't know what to do with my body. Like I'm in prayer and my arms became the biggest hindrance. (laughs) Has anybody ever experienced that? You're walking and praying. You don't know what to do with your arms. They just hang. And the more you get focused in and at peace with God, the more your appendages get in the way. You're like, I wish I could just kind of. And then there's a whole theology of the body in relation to prayer and how you should kneel or this or this or the right, the right uh, uh, posture in prayer. And if you're really holy, you, you prostrate, prostrate yourself before not prostate, prostrate, prostrate yourself before God. And you have to be in the right. And so I was always asking the questions and I always felt like I was coming up short. And then I didn't know, how do you measure whether you're really intimate with God? How do you know if you're effective? How do you know if it's paying off? And then there you throw human dynamics and leadership that you want to please. And so you do it like they do it and you form cultures so that then the cultures measure each other. So if you're Catholic, you call 24-7 prayer. Perpetual adoration. And if you're charismatic, we rest in the presence. You know, it's all soaking. And then we evaluate each other. And how do we know we're effective? And so we're constantly in our cultures, analyzing ourselves and trying to say we're effective. But inside, you don't know if you really are. And so I find that confidence in entering into a prior intimacy has been my quickest pathway into prayer because intimacy is defined by his intimacy. Your personhoods defined by his personhood. And so I find when we come to the subject of intimacy or prayer or ways to cultivate intimacy, we first have to begin with Where God begins, and that's with himself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. An eternal love affair. That you get invited into. And if it began with love, it's going to end with love. That's the goal. Love gives birth to a creation in order to love and bring them into an eternal love affair. And so you have to begin there. Because if it starts with you, you're going to move from one degree of misery to another. And if you don't make that subtle shift between I'm entering into a real relationship with a real person who has existed from eternity past in love with Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Then we won't really talk to him. We'll perform for him. Even our prayer, our talking will be performance. I remember a story uh, uh, that um, what's his name told. Um, what's that? Anybody know that guy? Come on, you help me out here. I thought this, I thought y'all were prophetic people. <laughs> Brennan Manning. He's told a story of. Uh, uh, As an Episcopal priest, he told a story of when a young woman knocked on his door. She knocked on his door and said, hey, my father's in the hospital. Would you come visit him? He has no one to visit him. Uh, Would you come and see him? He says, sure, I'll come see him. So he comes to the hospital. And when he walks into the hospital room, he notices that a chair is in front of the bed where her father was laying. And it looked like he had a visitor there. And so he opened the door. He said, oh, oh, excuse me. I didn't know you had a visitor. I'm going to. I'll leave and the guy goes, no, come on in, come on in, have a seat, let's talk. So they begin to talk and as they begin to talk, the man expressed uh, something to him. He goes, hey, you know that chair that was in here? I'm going to tell you something. I don't tell many people. He goes, but um, 10 years ago, as a believer, I was so frustrated at failing in my faith. I just felt like a failure uh, on so many different levels that I went to my pastor and I asked him, I said, hey, how do I pray? How do I talk to God? How, how do I do this thing called prayer? And he said the uh, um, the pastor gave him a book, one of the, the most recent uh, theologies of prayer. He said he gave it to me. And on the first couple pages, I had to look up 10 different theological terms uh, uh, in a theological dictionary, and I thought to you, myself, I'm just a simple construction worker. If I've got to have a theological dictionary to look up how to pray, he goes, I'll never make this. this n- I, there's no way. And so he said, I began to give up. And I asked one of my Christian construction worker friends, I said, I don't know how to do this prayer thing. This pastor gave me a book. I can't even hardly read it. I can't get out of the first chapter. If I can't get past the introduction, I don't have a shot. I'm just a simple man. And his friend said, oh, it's easy. It's no problem. He said, here's what you do. You sit in a chair and you pull up another chair in front of you. You open your Bible and you just talk to him like you're talking to a friend. You talk to him and every once in a while stop and listen to see if he talks back. And intermingle that with reading the word and singing and just, he goes, do it. And and the man goes, that changed my life. He said, that two hours every day changed my life. He said, he said it's the most thrilling two hours of my day, and that's the chair. I'm embarrassed to tell people that I do it this way. He said, but that's what I do, the chair. I read my Bible, I talk to him like I'm talking to a friend. He talks back sometimes at least I think he does and I weigh it against the word and see if it's a real voice and I I just talk to him like that he said it's changed my whole life it's my most enjoyable two hours of the day and so they continued talking and he left he prayed for him and he went home and a couple weeks later the gal knocked on the door somebody's choking that kid or something (laughs) Caleb save your son I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> and so he, he, he she knocks on the door a couple of weeks later. And she goes, hey, thank you for the way that you visited my father and loved on him. He was really touched by that visit. Thank you. And um, he goes, well, how's your dad doing? She goes, well, he kind of died unexpectedly. He kind of died and it was... A little bizarre. He goes, what do you what do you mean? She goes, I came in one morning and you know that chair. He used to make me pull up a chair every morning and ask me to leave the room for two hours. I didn't quite get it. But that chair, I pulled it up that day in the room to his bed. I left the room. I came back two hours later. And he was sitting by the chair. With his head in the lap of the chair. And he was gone. Let me ask you a question. Do you know who you're talking to. That you could put your head in his lap. You see. This is why last night. I began with Psalm 139. Because. We can't talk about intimacy. We can't even talk about father, son, Holy Spirit, unless we talk about he's a person. Because one of the most sad things about Christianity is we enter into relationship with God through the cross of Christ. And through the justifying work of Jesus on the cross. And then we find ourselves performing and actually never entering into intimacy with the God who dreamed up the cross. With the heart behind the cross. We we never move into that rest of intimacy. Where we trust the one. Who dreamed it all up. Who brought us forth. And so we don't talk to him. We perform for him. Even in prayer. And even in intimacy. We perform. For him and for others. And we don't realize We've been invited to an intimate, personal love affair. But it's a person. It's not an energy force. It's not an algorithm that you have to get the right. It's in order, you know, if you don't fit the algorithm, it finds you out and kicks you off your platform. Kind of like Facebook and Twitter, the algorithm searches out hate speech, finds you, you're gone. It's not the heavenly algorithm that makes sure you're and if you don't measure up, you're kicked off the the platform. But we look at God this way. We wouldn't articulate it, but we show it in our prayers, the way we interact with him, the way we interact with others. We don't believe he's a person. We think he's an energy force or a stoic, distant. Ruler or a a middle-class dad who's got good intentions but can't do much about it. (laughs) He doesn't have the money to give us a really good college education, but he's got really good heart. (laughs) So we see him in all these various ways, but we don't see him as this beautiful person that he really is. We don't engage him as a person. Can you imagine coming into a room and, Meeting people and perform it. Well, you can't imagine it. You do it. But we bring that to God and we interact with him. God is a person. He's delightful. And if anything, the incarnation tells us is God is the most delightful person. Jesus came saying, I want to tell you about father. Do you understand how drastic prayer changed the moment Jesus stepped on the scene? Do you have any idea how blessed you are to be in this generation? If you would have been born in Moses' day, or let's say you were born in uh Jacob's day, your father, you know, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, you would have had an understanding that there's God, but probably because of all the cultures, they would have been one God among many gods. But then Moses comes along and stamps here, O Israel, the Lord, your God is what one God. And you shall love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. So Moses introduces us to monotheism. And now it's the one God. And all the other gods are so-called gods. They're not real. He's the creator of heaven and earth, right? He sits on the throne of heaven and he has a covenant with us. But prayer still looked mostly like repentance, turning to God in the place of our sin, fasting prayer for deliverance from enemies without and enemies within. But Isaiah, but David came along And one, and told us, gave us this 33 year brief window where the veil was removed and they could stare at the glory over the mercy seat and the 4,000, musicians and 288 singers could stare at the glory and sing to the glory. And what made Moses' face shine, everybody could look upon. But that was a 33 year brief window. Isaiah follows it and says, Hey, that, that wasn't just a brief window. That was a foreshadowing. One day, he's going to draw everyone into his house. Not just Jews, but foreigners will come in, even eunuchs. And guess what? Prayer will not predominantly just be about repentance and getting victory over your enemies. He's going to bring you in, and he's going to give you joy in that house. What? Yes, joy! You're going to enter into a new reality. Everyone's coming in and everyone's going to be filled with joy. That's why when Jesus comes in Matthew 19 and the Pharisees say, why don't your disciples, you know, fast and pray like we fast and pray. John's disciples come and go, even the Pharisees fast and pray. What about your guys? All they do is eat. They don't seem to pray that much. A friend Jesus shifts the whole paradigm. He goes, hey, can the friends of the bridegroom fast when the bridegroom's here? Do you realize what just changed with one sentence? He goes, you've got the... You've not... You've not listened to what Isaiah said. He told about the day when you would no longer call me master. You would call me husband. There's a new season here. He's going to open it up by the shedding of his blood and removing all the hindrances. So that you can come into that prior eternal intimacy with father, son and Holy Spirit. He says, listen. This isn't about religious exertion and performance. This is about the season when the bridegroom's in the land. When I let everyone know that my Father and I and Holy Spirit are lovers at the core of our heart. This is more than getting workers or servants or a covenant people who just perform. We are planning a wedding. And the quality of our love between God and creation, God and those made in His image, is fervent, ardent love. And the only thing in creation that can even mirror it is like a bridegroom with a bride. He goes, I'm changing the definition. A season's coming when you don't have to have the veil between you and Have the priests come in and they do it for you. The day's coming when the veil's removed with my flesh. I'm going to rip the veil by my death on the cross. And I'm going to bring you into intimacy with a person, not just a set of rules. Beloved, rules are easier. Persons are harder to get along with. No, you, 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 you understand how easy it is for Muslims. Five things. Real simple, you know where you're at. The only problem is in a marriage relationship, it ain't five rules and you know where you're at. She's complex. She's got layers. I have to relate. I wish it was easy as take out the trash. You know, let me emote with you for an hour every night. You know, watch an occasional girly flick. You know, I wish there were five rules and we're all good, but it doesn't work like that. She's constantly going, do you know me? Do you even know me? Because it's relationship. It's relationship with a person. God's a person. And when he came in Christ, now he shows up. The word becomes flesh. And the word's always working to become flesh. The word isn't working to become flesh. Codified as law. The word is always looking to go beyond codification to relationship. He's a person, not an algorithm, not an energy force. Thus you got to deal with him. Are, Are you tracking me? And this makes all the difference because if you start with you and what you should do instead of who you're talking to, you're in trouble. But Jesus says, I'm the bridegroom. I'm not interested. You know, it says Jesus went. And went to lonely places and prayed. What does that mean? He went alone. It means the disciples didn't show up to the prayer meeting. That's why he was in lonely places. Three years in, they finally get it and go, man, when you talk to God, it's like amazing. You like talk to him like he's real. Like you have a real relationship with you. Like you're really talking to somebody. Have you ever seen somebody pray and you know? They seem like they're really talking to somebody. I remember when Mike Bickle prayed and I went, that cat's talking to somebody. To somebody. That. That's what I want. I want to be 90 years old and talking to somebody. That's what I want. And Jesus says, can you imagine three years into his discipleship ministry and he has not taught them to pray? You got to wrestle with that. Why? He tells you why. The bridegroom's here. I want to addict them to my presence. I want to fascinate them with my personhood. Because one day the bridegroom will be taken away. And when I am. (laughs) Oh that day they'll fast. That day they'll pray. Oh trust me. They will miss me. They will long for me. They will want me. They won't see prayer As something to do to get merit. They will see prayer and fasting. As entering into a holy covenant relationship of love. Oh that's what I'm looking for. I want joy in my house of prayer. He's alive people. He's a living God. He wants you to talk to him. You know what? I love my sons. I love them. I don't mind providing for them. I don't mind protecting them. I don't mind everything that a father does in caring for them. But when they come home and I ask them, hey, how's your day? And they give me a one word response. It was good. I go, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. You bring full sentences into this relationship. Well, Dad, it was really it was really good. It was a good day. No. Uh uh-uh. uh. I need paragraphs of whole complete sentences. This isn't a texting relationship. I need full words, full sentences with periods, question marks, exclamation points. I need paragraphs. I need at least a thesis statement, three points, and a conclusion. You talk to me. I go, I don't mind protecting you. I don't mind caring for you. Everything that you have, I have bought you. Everything. Your clothes, your car, your college, everything. I bought it. In fact, you know what it's like to have three teenage sons in the house? Do you know what it's like? No, you don't. Do you know I haven't? Like, ask Susie, what, what's the one snack I asked for coming here? When you asked me in my hospitality basket, what is the one snack? Chips. Chips. You know why? Because in a house with three teenage boys and their 1,800 teenage boyfriends, I never see a chip in my house. A chip bag lasts like 30 seconds. Because my wife has one fatal flaw. She asks my boys to help carry in the groceries. Guess what happens? They carry in the groceries. They walk away with the chip bag and go downstairs. I never see a chip or a frozen pizza ever in my house. (laughs) Two things. Never, 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 never. Why? And I tell him, I say, I don't even mind you eating all my food. (laughs) Wearing my clothes that I bought and my bed that I bought and my room that I pay the mortgage on. I don't mind. I love it. I truly love it. But this one thing you're going to do, if I do all those things, you're going to talk to me. Cause I didn't bring you in this world to not have a deep friendship with you ever. I want you to talk to me all your days, all your days. Now I'm sure you're going to hide some stuff from me, but it's okay. You'll learn and you'll come to me. Well, we're, I want to talk. You know, I thought when they got adults that, you know, they, it, it, the talking just increases because they go, dad, we get it. Oh my gosh, help me, but talk to me. You know what? I remember when we discover that God is a person and we've been invited not into just a sovereign relationship and a sovereign demand upon us as he's the king, but in Christ, our king has become flesh and opened the way. And he's not only our king, he's our brother. He not only calls us servants, he calls us what? friends. Hosea talked about the day when we would call him our lover so that it's a deep friendship, but the quality of love moves past friendship love to marital love. So it's like best friends who are lovers. Now that's not a physical relationship with God. It's a description of the ardency, the fervency, the quality that he's the one I want, and yet we treat him like an algorithm, a stoic judge, a middle-class father who can't do anything. We, we and we and it impacts the way we talk to him, and we hide from him in our shame. We don't know how to relate to him. And I remember when the when uh, he's the living God. Do you know he he interacts with us in such a personal way? I remember when my mom. My mom and dad know Jesus and my father helped lead me to the Lord. And my mom was a picture of a saint. And I remember when she was a young woman, she got cancer. And for eight years, she battled with cancer. And um, the last three years, my dad changed her diapers, literally. And um, I watched my dad, who loved my mom. I was a welcome addition to the family family but they had their own thing going and long after I'm out of the house, they still had it going on. And so I was a welcome addition, but they were in love. And so I remember he bought an Alaskan cruise to hoping to go on it with her, with one of the really big rooms with the window. So she could sit there and look out and they could have that experience. And either Jesus would heal her. or She was going to go home to be with the Lord. Well, she did. She died. Um, Uh, a month before the trip. So I remember dad asked me to go on the trip with him. So I went with him and his heart's just down and, and I'm there and I'm on top of the deck of the cruise. And I remember, um, it was blue skies. It was gorgeous. I think we even saw like killer whales that day on either side. And, but in my heart, I was down and as beautiful as creation is, how many of you know, even I, I live in Colorado, so it, I have beauty all around me. But no matter how beautiful it is, you've, at some point you end up closing your eyes because you inherently know that God has so much more. Those are just tokens. And so I closed my eyes and I just began to pray and said, Lord, I, I, I wish you would encourage me. I know for whatever reason, mom wasn't healed of cancer and it's appointed unto man to die once and give account to you and I know... All of us are going to die and see you face to face. And I also know that resurrection is the answer for humanity, not just immortality. Uh, uh, the, the path to eternal life is overcoming death through resurrection, not avoiding death. So I, I understand that I'm not mad. I'm not anything, but my heart's down. I miss mom. And um, would you encourage my heart? And I remember just asking for something. I just I literally said, Lord, I, I want to see your power. You know, would you send a storm, a big one, a big storm in the middle of this Pacific Ocean? I, I want a big storm, like a storm that causes all of us to just tremble before you. And I said, but, you, you know, but, but don't kill anybody. Because <laughs> you can't really pray prayers that could kill people. So and those are illegal prayers, like <laughs> killing people. And so, uh, but I prayed it. I just prayed it. And and I said, because I grew up in Florida, and I, so I'm familiar with the ocean, and the last thing I'd want in Florida is a storm to come up because the water's warm. And so if the ship goes down, I've seen Jaws I don't know how many times. And the whole idea, the worst verse in the whole Bible to me, B- besides you know, eat whatever set in front of you that 's probably the worst. The second worst is where Paul said he was in the open water for two days and nights, and that one scene where the lady is like treading water and mm-hmm, dun-dum, dun-dum, that scene and so I, but in the in Alaska i mean you 're in the water for like two minutes and you die hypothermia it's like the what is it what it, was that what's that big boat? The the Titanic where he just got sleepy on it. (laughs) I can do that. So God, send a storm. I mean, I can get sleepy and go to sleep. That's no problem. And so send a storm, but don't hurt anybody. I'll never forget it. I felt the Holy Spirit say, okay. So I grabbed my dad. I know he needs encouragement. I say, dad, I just want to let you know something. I've asked for a big storm, a big one a big one. But I asked the Lord not to hurt anybody, but I asked for a big storm and I think he said yes. He looked at me, he goes, Alan, it is I'm sorry to inform you, son, but I actually read the weather reports. I don't know if you have really heard the Lord because it's going to be sunny all day and tomorrow and the next day. And, but you know, what? bless you, son. <laughs> I said, I know I, I could be wrong and I may just be missing mom and Da, 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 but, you know, he's the living God. He's a person. He's the one who met face to face with Moses. He's the one that when Joshua saw Moses and God talk, Joshua remained in the tent. He's the one who had lunch with Abraham. If he can have lunch with Abraham, he can talk to me. If he can become incarnate and walk among us in the flesh, can you imagine interacting with him? What it would have been like. Jesus sinners loved to eat with him. Which meant he had charm. Blessed words were upon his lips. Can you imagine his wit? Can you imagine his humor? Can you imagine the inside jokes he had with the apostles? By Matthew 9 he said. I'm not getting them into religious striving. I'm going to addict them to my presence. And after I'm gone they'll do anything to get me back. Do you understand Paul saw him five minutes on the road and he said, the love of Christ compels me to preach the gospel. Whatever happened in that five minutes, you didn't have to demand Paul to do something. He was undone by love, the encounter of love. So anyway, to make a long story short, about six hours later, a massive storm hit us. 19 to 32 foot waves cresting. It was awesome. I grabbed my dad, tried to go up on top of the ship, and it was blowing us back. So we had to go down, and I went to the furthest point of boat because I wanted to do that whole thing. <laughs> now, it looks cheesy, but that's just cool, you know. And uh, and then I went down on the fourth floor, and the waves, the, the captain had to turn the, wa- the boat into the waves because, you know, those ships aren't designed for side waves. And he turned them into the waves, and we would go up. I mean, this was hours, like eight hours. And when he'd come down, the props would break the plane of the water on the back of that big old Princess cruise ship, and it would sound like a cannon, like boom, and just all night. You know, it's so unfortunate because all the it was like the geriatric cruise. I was like 30 <laughs> years younger than everyone, and it was just a, a bunch of old people getting drunk and gambling, so I to me, it was a win. They were all in the rooms throwing up, but, but they didn't die. But, um, but, uh, so, so I grabbed my dad on the fourth floor at four floors above the water and the water's hitting now four floors. You could probably do the math 12 foot per floor, 48 feet. As the waves would hit, the spray would come up and we're just like, And my dad goes, you're crazy. <laughs> I go, no, dad, he's alive. He wanted to encourage your heart. The next morning, the next, it lasted, it lasted for another eight hours. So in the, the next morning, the captain came on and said, I am so sorry. In 20 years of captaining, I've never hit a storm like this. It was not expected. I don't have a reason for it. I'm just telling you we're okay now. <laughs> I remember when I was at the call, Ingle had the call Pasadena and I'm out at the call Pasadena and I asked the Lord, I said, you know, Lord, I've seen a tornado or a house got hit by a tornado when I was a kid, but I've never experienced an earthquake. I've never experienced an earthquake. I said, would you send an earthquake, but don't hurt anybody because you, you can't pray prayers that hurt people. And I'm just a regular Joe. I don't have some inside track to God. I'm just Alan, you know, from small little 3000 person town, McClendon, Florida, five miles from the Georgia line. And so I, I asked him, I said, Lord, I go, I've never felt an earthquake. Could you send one? And, uh, but don't hurt anyone. So I feel the Holy spirit whisper. Yes. Now, I've asked the Lord probably a hundred times and didn't hear the witness. And, you know, you you can't pin God down. He does what he wants. But sometimes he says, yes, he's a person. And I remember I said to Dwayne Roberts, who was Lou's guy that was putting on it. And he had arranged it. We were staying in the same hotel room. And I said, Dwayne, I said, I just want a witness. <laughs> I said, I asked the Lord for an earthquake. And, um, you, know, you, you know, and I think he said yes. So guess what? 4 a.m. in the morning. It was either 4 a.m. or 4:44. It became like a prophetic thing for Lou to say something. But but it at, at, at like 4 a.m. in the morning. All I remember is I woke up hearing what sounded like a massive train. I didn't know earthquakes were loud. Maybe you do. Maybe you've been through one. So loud, and my bed in the hotel goes. Boom, And when it comes back, I come out of the bed and land on my feet and I say, Dwayne, I told you, (laughs) you know what he said? Literally, he lifted, up and went, you're nuts. And then he went back to bed. I'm like, how can you go back to bed after an earthquake? Guess what? It hit the pornography district, didn't harm anyone and collapsed the pornography warehouses. And it became like a sign the next day for the call as we pray. But inside I'm going, you did it for me. (laughs) Uh, Can I tell you one more story? I could tell you several stories. Why? I'm only telling you stories for one purpose. He's a person. He's not an energy force. He's not an algorithm. He's a person. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And the reason why you're a person Is because you're made in his image. And you relate to one another. As a person. And so do you relate to God that way. And the moment you get it into your head. That he's a real person. Is when life really starts changing. In the place of prayer and intimacy. Then I I can relate to him. And I don't have to perform for you. I don't have to perform from him. But I do have to talk to him. I do have to open my heart. I have to trust him. I have to let his word change me. And so uh, I I remember we were at uh, Yellowstone National Park. And my sons had heard these stories, but they weren't part of them. So my sons are with me at Yellowstone National Park. And we went there, and I asked the guy, I said, I want to see grizzly bears. I want to see bears. I appreciate all these little hot pools of water, but that don't do it for me. Like the little geyser coming up. No, I want something living that can like kill me to like come forth. He said, oh, you'll probably won't see one. He said, I've been here how many years and, you know, how long are you here? I said, just 24 hours. I'm going one trip right through the middle of Yellowstone. I need to see grizzly bears. He goes, well, I doubt it. And I said, well, I'm going to ask the Lord. So I asked the Lord, I said, I want to see grizzly bears. And. uh, And I I felt like the Holy Spirit said, yeah. And so I told my sons and my wife, I said, we're going to see some grizzly bears today. This is going to be amazing. So within five minutes of entering the park, all these cars are pulled over on the side of the road. Anybody been to Yellowstone? Then you know how it works. You know what's happening because all the cars pull over. So all the cars are pulled over, and I, I go, well, something's going on. I pull over, and I look, and out across the lake right there is a huge grizzly bear that's on the other side of the lake. And I grab a, a guy that was with us, and I go, come on. <laughs> and we go walking around the lake. And I, and we got way too close. You shouldn't do this. We got way too close. But the reason why we I got close is because... There were two really big guys. I mean, really heavy guys out of shape, not like football player, rugby guys, but but like guys that, you know, had eaten a little too much and they had on flip flops. And so I thought to myself, (laughs) I don't have to outrun the bear. I just got to outrun that dude. So we got real close. (laughs) Is that horrible? I'm just, I'm being honest with you people. And so that was, I mean, we just stood there taking pictures really close, way too close. But like I said, these other two dudes would have been dead and we'd have made it. But, uh, but, uh, (laughs) so anyway, we drive on and the next thing I know, there's another one. And the bear is walking. We pull off and they go, oh, there's a huge bear walking up over the ridge. And and as soon as I pull over and go to look, the bear, no lie. I'm talking cars lined up, people standing. The bear turns around, walks down the hill, comes back up the hill onto the road, walks around my car and stops right there at my window. Now, I rolled down the window, but not fully. (laughs) Just enough to talk to him about the Lord loves him. I'm sitting there telling the Lord loves him. So as he's doing it, then he moseys on. And after he stays there for a while, he just moseys on and walks across the bridge and goes down the other way and leaves. So then I'm driving and I see... Uh, this elderly couple has pulled over on the side of a road, and they're standing out. And behind them, a large buffalo is coming. Now, buffalo are, are you know, they look lazy and nice and this, but if you get within a certain circumference, they turn really scary. to really hurt you. This elderly couple doesn't know the the, the bison's coming up behind them. So I pull over and I jump out to tell this elderly couple, you need to get in your car. So, and, I, and, but the elderly, I go, I go, well, what are you looking at? And they go, well, there's a mama grizzly and all of her bear cubs right there. And suddenly I get pulled into, <laughs> I'm telling the kids, look, there's a mama grizzly, all the bear cubs. And da, da, da da And as we're standing there, we forget about the bison. I forget why I was there. And the bison comes walking up next to him. He comes he comes walking up right next to us, about from me to Sam. And all of a sudden I go, ah and I open my minivan door and I go to throw, I I well not throw, but you know, I, I help, I assist the elderly woman into the car. But I'll never forget it. The old man, he just ah, forget it. He's so old. He said, forget it. And he just turned and walked by the bison to his car. (laughs) And then the bison does the weirdest thing. He rolls over in those wood beams that they put to park, you know, on the side. of. He rolls over and he just starts itching his back. And I walk up to him and I'm telling him that God loves him and God made him. And he's just rubbing his, I, I, I didn't do it. I didn't dare touch it. I could have rubbed his belly. And my kids are like, what in the world? Guess how many grizzlies, how many bears we saw that day? Eleven. Eleven. Now, these are stories. They're outlandish. I have some more. I could tell you about the leopard. I petted and made him purr. My point is not to to make hyperbole or stories that are beyond or outlandish. My, I only have one point to it is he's the living God. He can do anything and I'm his precious son. And I talk to him. Why wouldn't he answer me? Why wouldn't he want to delight my eyes? Why wouldn't he want to answer me? You know, Moses gave us monotheism, but when Jesus came, he did something far greater than give us monotheism. Do you know the very first revelation that Jesus gives concerning his father? He's at the age of 12. He stays in the temple. Mom and dad leave. They come back and go, what in the world were you doing? And what did he say? Did you not know I'd be about my Abba's business? What's the very first thing he said? After the father said, this is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased, he goes into the temple. And what's the very first thing he calls the temple? What is the dwelling place of God on the earth? What does he call it? Does he call it the temple? Hey, this is the covenant temple. What does he call it? My father's house. Do you know what he calls the heavenly temple in John 14? Abba's house. The house of prayer in heaven and earth is called the father's house. Can you imagine that? John 14, he goes, I go to prepare a place for you. And if it were not so, I would not tell you because I don't lie. I'm actually going to prepare a place for you. For in my Abba's house, there are many mansions. And I go to prepare a place for you and I'll come back and get you for it. What was it like? And I'm going to end it soon. What was it like as Jesus fully God, fully man? Luke tells us that he grew in wisdom and strength, that the revelation of who he is had to fill that context of when his mind would grow and understand. What was it like that day when Jesus, like every Jewish boy. Is kneeling down with all the other Jewish boys and he's got to put his forehead to the ground and bear his neck because one of the words for worship in Hebrew is to bear the neck. It's to submit. It's a, it's a sign of submission. You bear the neck. You're completely vulnerable to God who could kill you. Take your life. You bear the neck. So he's down his foreheads to the ground. He's bearing the neck and he's repeating what Moses taught him hero Israel the Lord your God is one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But you close your eyes, you put your forehead to the ground, and you do not dare do anything but bear your neck into a sign of submission. What was it like that day when that little six-year-old, who knows how old he was, what was it like that day his heads bowed down, his necks bore He's repeated the Shema and suddenly it hits his little human mind and spirit. Who is fully divinized by the presence of the second person of the Trinity. Fully God, fully man. But that day when suddenly his human mind can fathom God. And suddenly he lifts his head. And I can just see him in front of all those boys. And he stands up. And he does the unthinkable. He lifts his eyes to heaven. And looks straight into God's holy heart. Abba. The term used. A tender term. For like when a grandfather or father plays with. His children or grandchildren. Papa. Daddy. He looks up and goes. I can, just see the, I can just see the priest. <laughs> I can just see the rabbi go, uh, <laughs> Jesus, uh, uh, who are you talking to? Abba. Joseph's not here, Jesus. I'm not talking to Joseph. I'm talking to Father. <sighs> Beloved, you don't know it, but in the eyes again, changed that day because a human being just looked God right in the eyes again and uttered that He's His Father. Not just His God. Not just the the Maker of the Covenant. Not just the Creator. Not just the Sustainer. He is in love with me. He's my Father. And from that point on, Jesus would say, Father, Father, 105 times just in the gospel. John, he would say, my father, 25 times. Why are you saying this, Alan? Because if you don't begin with intimacy with who instead of what. Chances are he won't be father to you. He'll be the taskmaster still the master. You trying to earn his favor. And you certainly won't be able to say what you need to say. My father. My father. Let me tell you, life begins in Christianity when you can say my father. He's my father. And you can stand up here and tell me your story of when you asked him something and he did it. Can I tell you one other story? Can I tell you one more story? Here's why. If I don't tell you these stories, this isn't trying to boast about my relationship with him. I'm the weakest of all men, but he's alive. You know what happened? My Nissan Pathfinder broke down. It broke down. The dealer did something, a miracle. The dealer said, we won't try to fix it because there's no way to fix it. He didn't rip me off. He just said, bury it and go get a new car. Okay. So I've never had to buy a car. I ask God for cars. He gives me cars. I don't understand it. It just happens. You might ask him for trees and get trees. Me it's cars, he gives me cars. But he usually gives me cars that are really modest cars and you know, like a Nissan Pathfinder. It's just a. But I walked in and my boys had never seen him answer my prayers about cars. So I walked in, it's a Sunday afternoon. I said, Boys, my Nissan Pathfinder's dead. And I'm gonna ask the Lord for a car. He's gonna give me one. It's, he just loves me like this. So Sure enough, I say a 30 second prayer. They roll their eyes at me like, okay, dad. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. mm-hmm, yeah." Blow kisses. You know, they were watching, I think Sunday football. And so I was interrupting the football game and dad's here. He is da, 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 And I go, no boys, listen, I'm going to pray a 30 second prayer. I'm not trying to be religious. You can go back to watching the chiefs, uh, uh but that was pre Patrick Mahomes. We were going to lose anyway, so it doesn't matter. Just go back to watching. And so, uh, I I say literally a 15 to 30 second prayer like, Lord, you love me. I'm your favorite. Uh, You always give me cars. I want I I need a car. There you go. It's that simple. I love you. That's Sunday afternoon. Monday afternoon, I get a call from a man named Jeff in West Virginia. This man goes, Alan, I needed to talk with you today. I have this classic car. And I've been praying the Lord's really put it on my heart to sell it and give the proceeds to the kingdom. And today, when I was praying about who to give the proceeds to, the Lord spoke to me and said, don't sell it. Give the keys to Alan Hood. He'll know what to do with it. Does that mean anything to you? He goes, "Uh, well, actually, I said, well, actually, it does. And I told him the story and. My kids and praying, and da 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 da. And he goes, Okay, it's a deal then. Later on this week, I'll drive it to you and hand you the keys and I'll fly back. And I go, Well, well Jeff, let, I, I don't mean to be specific, but when you say classic, what do you mean? He goes, Well, I, I go, Do you mean like a Model T Ford? Like classic? Like, is it 1940s, 1950s, 1960s? And he goes, well, no, it's classic because it was the last year that a gentleman by the name of Shelby was alive, and designed it. And I go, Shelby. He goes, yeah, yeah, it's a Shelby Ford Mustang GT 5.4 5. liter, 550 horsepower supercharged engine. It'll go 200 <laughs> miles an hour. It's black. Was take it out. Seen stripes. I just keep it in the garage. It's only got 11,000 miles on it because it's a classic. I just take it out in the summer and drive it a little bit. You know, it'll be hard to keep it in the winter in Kansas City, but, you know, drive it all summer and then sell it and get whatever car you want. (laughs) I thought, this is amazing. This is unbelievable. Do you know what it feels like to go over 150 miles an hour? (laughs) Here's what I'm telling it. My dad grew up in Hickory, North Carolina, right outside of Charlotte. He grew up there, and I'm related to NASCAR drivers. Dale Jarrett, Ned Jarrett, they both won the Winston Cup. Their NASCAR is in the blood. We are aggressive drivers, unlike Susie, who's a very defensive driver. Um, But uh, bless her heart, she's, you know, the Lord's Lord's working on her. And... um, So NASCAR, but my dad didn't want to drive NASCAR. He wanted to drag race. So he souped up this GT coupe, had it ready to drag race. And when his father found out that he had entered into a drag race, he sat him down and made him sell it. Because we're NASCAR. Drag race is dangerous. But you can go 200 miles around a track and that's fine. But drag racing, only crazy people do that. So made him sell it before he got to drive it. So, you know, the first thing I did, I called dad. I told him the story. I said, dad, I want you to take my Mustang and I want you to go on the Kansas highway. And I guarantee you, this car is a whole heck of a lot faster than your old little coupe from 1962. So we did. We took it. My dad wept and wept. That he got to drive that fast. I let everybody drive it. (laughs) Why? Because my father gave it to me. I wanted everyone to experience. I would literally tell people about Jesus. Tell them the thing. And people who at the washing places or gas station would break down weeping. So I go to sell it. And this is my last story. And I go to sell it. Because we're going back to Kansas City where it's winter. And you can't drive that powerful machine there. And I actually needed a car. So I ended up selling it and giving my wife a CX-5 Mazda, which I'm still a little bitter about today. It's not the same. But when I went to sell it, there was a furniture maker in um, Jupiter Island down in Florida, and he was inquiring about it, so I drove the car over to him. And so when I came into the furniture store, he was an Italian guy, and he was a little bit like a mafia figure. I mean, he wanted to pay strict cash. He was just real, he was in the back, and it was it was shady. I was a little scared of him. So I told him the story of the car and he begins weeping. And I lay hands on him and he goes down in the power of the spirit in the middle of his furniture store and starts shaking under the power of God. He gets up fully weeping. He goes, I have to buy the car. I have to buy this car. I go, why? He goes, oh, you don't understand. He goes, about 20 years ago, there was a homeless man sleeping under my furniture truck. I hired him. Gave him a job, and five years into the job, he got born again and asked me to go to his Bible study and all this, and I never would. But I had a really bad, hurt knee, and he invited me to a Benny Hinn conference. So I went to a Benny Hinn conference. I was called out in that conference. My leg was completely healed, and I got born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit. But since that day, I've walked away from God. I've turned my back on him. In my whole life, I wanted a car like this and for God to do it this way. He's my father. I'm just weeping. I'm dancing up and down. I'm going, yes, he is your father. He loves you. And then he handed me a whole big thing, up, a whole grocery bag full of cash. <laughs> Anyway, I can tell you story after story, but I want to leave you this, this last point. Because this whole point last night was He knows you, and it's His knowledge of you that produces the cry for wholehearted love. We love Him because He first what? Loved us. He's intimate with us. He's personal. You know what Jesus did? You think, I'm, you think this whole encouragement thing and the Lord's little tokens of love is not real? You know what happened when the disciples found out that they cut off John the Baptist's head? You know what Jesus did? He immediately sends them across the lake and he goes up on the high mountain where he went often to pray. Now imagine this he sends his disciples across without him. Everyone's thinking they killed John, we're next. They killed John. Where next. Jesus is up on the mountain. They go off. They're terrified. And he sends them without him. And what does he ask the father up on that mountain? Can I do the walk on water thing? They're really afraid right now, father. Can I do the walk on water thing? And would you have Peter ask me to come to me? And he walks out in the middle of the lake in a storm. And Peter walks to him. You think that's by accident? No, it's a person called God in the flesh. Encouraging his disciples that he's. More powerful and over everything. <laughs> this is what God is like. What did he say? To Nathaniel. Oh, you're fascinated because I gave you a word of knowledge. Said I saw you under the fig tree. Oh, you had not seen anything yet. You're going to see angels ascend and ascend upon the Son of Man. I'm going to blow your mind, Nathaniel. I'm the living God. I'm going to blow your mind. I'm going to make your eyes look like the same eyes like David and Moses. I'm going to blow your mind, young man. If you're this easily fascinated, what are you going to do when the dead are raised? What are you going to do when I pull Lazarus out of the grave? What are you going to do when the lame leap, when the mute tongue shouts, when the deaf ears hear? What are you going to do when I come out of the grave and teach you for 40 days and then I fly right up into heaven without help? Oh, you're fascinated now? Oh, I love you, Nathaniel. (laughs) But I'm going to blow your mind. And then you'll go anywhere and then you'll pray often and then you'll do anything. Why? For love. For love. Amen. I'll never forget a guy by the name of Bob and Nina Lyons. They were teaching our healing class, but he was like 89 And he got up there and they were in a seat and they could barely move. They were so old. And I'll never forget it. They introduced him and he went to speak. And he raised his hand and he said, I'll just open in prayer. And he said one word. He said, Jesus. And when he said Jesus, he never got any further. He just started weeping as this eighty nine year old man, just weeping, Jesus. And then he was gone. For two hours. I love you. Jesus. And the whole room we cried with him for two hours. I still cried, thinking about love. And I said to myself, I want to be eighty-nine. And I want to say one word. I want to say your name. I'm in there. I want that kind of love produced, God make my life like that man. I'm in this with you forever. I want to have that kind of relationship. I remember I went over to his house. I go, I got to learn how to pray. And I'm sitting there and he, he goes, well, let's wait on the Lord. And he closes his eyes. It's like an hour later. (laughs) And literally I go, my friend who was with me, Dirk, this German guy, I go, I think he's dead. (laughs) I go, I think he's dead. Two hours later, I go, I know he's dead. I can't see, feel and see if breaths. Un- I didn't dare do it, but I was like, I said, Dirk, just put your finger in his nose. like. And, and then about three hours, he opens his eyes and he goes, uh, so what did the Lord tell you? I went, I thought you were dead. <laughs> he did tell me anything. He goes, it's okay, young man. You just need to learn how to. Talk to him like a son talks to a father. Rest in his presence. You have nothing to prove. He's done it all. Now just, since he's done it, why don't you give him what he wants, a relationship? Why don't you talk to him? He's glad to provide for you, to protect you, to care for you, to show you his power. But it's really, he wants you to talk to him. You Alan, what's the point of this morning's long session? Talk to him. Don't be religious. Just talk to Him. Talk to Him. Talk to Him.